What's up, guys? Today, we'll be discussing Zechariah chapter 11 here on The Last Things Podcast. Coming to you once again with another episode of the Last Things Podcast, where we are on a journey to truth. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to come before you again as we discuss the Word of God. Um, I made y'all a promise that we were going to take a uh, look at a particular scripture um, in Zechariah. And I know I didn't get to it last week, but guess what? Today, we're going to cover that scripture. It's in, let's, uh, so if you have your Bibles, because I don't want to keep this, uh, I don't want to make this a long, uh, a long teaching. I'm going to try to do my best to keep it as short as possible. So, so we won't have to do no two-part video. We're going to try to do it all in one episode. Okay. So let's get to this thing, man. So if you have your Bibles, look at Zechariah chapter 11, uh, Zechariah chapter 11. And it is the story of, if you have a New Living Translation Bible like I have, it'll say the good and evil shepherds. Now, the first thing I want to do is let's define what a shepherd actually is. A shepherd is a person who tends and rears sheep. Um, you know, we always say, we always, the Bible always says Jesus is the good shepherd. So we, uh, we use him, we look at him as an example of what a good shepherd is. Now, a shepherd has two primary tools that they use, a rod and a staff. It think, makes you think back to Psalm, I think it's Psalm 23, where it says, thy rod, my st- thy rod and thy staff comfort me all the days, right? So a rod is basically a short and straight, is, is short and straight like a heavy club. Now the rod is used to defend and protect the flock from wild animals and predators. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, and a staff is used to gather and direct the flock. Now the staff is long with a hook on the end. Now both a rod and the staff, both of them are symbols of authority. So those are the tools that a shepherd would use to tend the flock with. And of course, as we said, they are both symbols of authority. So when you see a shepherd with a rod and a staff, that means he has authority over the particular flock, okay? That's very key for what we're about to discuss with the shepherd and the flock. I need you guys to kind of keep that in mind, okay? So let's look at... Uh, verse four of Zechariah 11. This is Zechariah. Now, this is what it says. This is verse four. This is what the Lord, my God says, go and care for a flock that is intended for slaughter. The buyers will slaughter their sheep without remorse. The sellers will say, praise the Lord. I am rich now. Even the shepherds will have no compassion for them. Look at the first thing. First, God tells Zechariah, go and care for a flock that is intended for slaughter. 
And then he says the buyers will slaughter their sheep without remorse. So when they buy the sheep, the buyers is just going to kill them and not going to have any kind of remorse for them. And then the person who sells them, he says, I'm rich. He doesn't care about them. So we see that here, Zechariah gets a flock that the buyers don't care about and the sellers don't care about. The sellers are just looking at it from a money perspective of, hey, I'm going to be rich. The buyers, they just slaughter them and have no care for them, right? Now, as we continue on through, God's going to explain, we're going to, God's going to show us what he what is going on now I know what y'all thinking y'all are y'all are probably wondering how is this going to tie into what we've been discussing lately just follow me and i'm gonna show you how this ties in okay now verse six and likewise i will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land says the Lord, I will let them fall into each other's clutches as well as unto the clutches of their king. They will turn the land into a wilderness and I will not protect them. God says he's not going to protect them. When have you ever heard God say, I'm not going to deliver, I'm not going to protect? Here's one of those instances where God says, I'm not protecting them. God is in essence saying, I'm washing my hands of them. I'm not going to protect them. Whatever happens to them, it's going to happen. And I'm not going to save them. I don't know about y'all, but just the mere fact that God is saying here, I'm not going to save them. I'm not going to protect them. That's scary. That's a scary thought. That's scary to hear that God's saying, I'm not, I'm not keeping them. Uh, whatever happens, happens. That means in essence, he's, he's saying, I'm going to let the devil do with it. I'm going to Satan, had, I'm, I'm washing my hands. So this, to me, in my opinion, this would be one of the instances where Satan could do whatever he wanted. And God is saying, I'm stepping back. That is a scary thought for a group of people, for anybody, for God to say, I'm done. I'm not going to protect you from what happens. Whatever happens to you, it happens. See, this is why this is why the Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace be abide? Because we think because we live in the sea, the, the dispensation of grace, we think that we can continue to do wrong and God's going to continue to forgive us and keep letting us make it. But we see here God saying, I'm through with this group of people. Imagine if you live in that way where you think you could just live and do whatever you want to do. And you think God's not pleased. You think God, I posted this on Facebook uh, a couple of years ago, I think. No, might have been a year or two ago, but, it, but this is what I said. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's pleased. Here's a prime example of it. Just because he's silent does not mean he's pleased. So you do with, you do with that whatever you want to. But I'm, I'm, I want you guys to see how, how troubled, how bad that is that God says, hey, I'm done. 
So for those of you out there who might be just living like free spirited, as they call it, or how do they say now, I'm living my best life. You better make sure that you, while you living your best life, you're not living it. That's against what God says, because you could be one of the ones you think you just free, willy nilly doing fine. And God saying, no, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm not keeping you. And that's a bad thing. That's bad. But anyway, I don't know where that came from. So let's keep going. So verse seven. So I care for the flock intended for slaughter. Zechariah is talking now. He said, I care for the flock that's intended for slaughter. The flock was oppressed. Then I took two shepherd staffs and named one favor and the other union. Now, that's in the New Living Translation. King James says, I called one beauty and I called the other bands. So we, we see two different names. You know, this that's King James, beauty and bands. But in New Living, it says, I'm sorry, it says favor and union. So the wordings are different, but they mean the same thing. So we're going to stick with favor and union, okay? So we're going to stick with those. So he says in verse eight, I got rid of their three evil shepherds in a single month. Remember the first group, the first uh, in the beginning, the buyers and the sellers, Zachariah says, I got rid of all three of them. Now let's keep going in a single month. But I became impatient with, with these sheep, this nation, and they hated me too. Verse nine, so I told them, I won't be your shepherd any longer. If you die, you die. If you are killed, you are killed. And those who remain will devour each other. Zechariah said, verse nine, he said, verse eight, he said, I got impatient with them. And now in verse nine, he's saying, I'm not going to protect you anymore. Remember, he's talking to the flock. Now, let's keep, if we keep reading, we're going to see where this is going, okay? But I'm just kind of breaking it down. He's saying, hey, whatever happens to you just happens. Same thing what God just said about a, a particular nation, right? And now Zechariah is saying the same thing that God is saying. Oh, man, that's not too good. But let's keep going. He said, if you are killed, you're killed. And those who remain will devour each other. Verse 10, this is where it's going to get interesting. Verse 10 says, then I took my staff and my staff called favor and snapped it in two, showing that I had revoked the covenant I made with the nations, right? Now, the breaking of the favor staff is symbolic, but we're going to Let's keep going and we're going to come back to show what those means, right? Now, verse 10, it says, He snapped it in two. He revoked the covenant that he made with the nations. That, in verse 11, that was the end of my covenant with them. Those who bought and sold sheep. Now, verse 11, this is key. Remember, um, right now, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah is talking about a particular flock, right? Like particular sheep, right? Remember, God told him in the beginning, get a flock that's meant for slaughter. Now this is going to shift. Now this is getting, now this is where it gets interesting. 
Verse 10, um, let's read it again. Then I took my staff called favor and snapped it in two, showing that I revoked the covenant I had made with all nations. Verse 11, that was the end of my covenant with them. Those who bought and sold sheep were watching me and they knew that the Lord was speaking to them through my actions. Stop right there. Now it shifts. Zachariah said the people that's around, they realize God is speaking to them through Zachariah. Zachariah is acting out what God is presently doing to them right now. He said, I'm breaking the staff. What's the first staff? The first staff is called favor, right? He's saying the covenant that he made with Israel is now broken. God's saying, I'm breaking that covenant. That's why, that's why I said it's important to look at the, when he said he broke the staff of favor in two, that's, the, that's symbolic of the covenant God made with Israel. He's saying, I'm breaking that covenant. I'm breaking it right now. That's key. And like I said, remember how in the beginning, God told Zechariah to get a particular flock it was symbolic of what God is doing right now with the people because they had become, as the Bible said, stiff-necked. So God is saying, I'm breaking my covenant with them. Now, so now we see Zechariah is acting out a prophecy that God is giving concerning Israel, right? So let's keep that in mind. This is a prophecy about Israel and Zechariah is acting it out in front of the people. So as we as we're going to continue, there's this whole prophecy is about to unfold even the further as he continues to act this thing out. Let's keep going. OK. Then we are. We are at verse 11. That was the end of my covenant with them. Those who bought and sold sheep were watching me and they knew that the Lord was speaking to me through my actions. Verse 12. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I am worth. But if you give, but only if you want to. So they counted out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Why is that important? Because according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 32, 30 pieces of silver is the price for a slave. Zechariah said, pay me what I'm worth. They told, in essence, they, they counted out his wages and they say, you're only worth the price of a slave. Keep that in mind because we're going somewhere with this. We get ready to make a turn. You ready? Verse 13. And the Lord said to me, throw it in the potters, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces, the 30 coins and threw them into the potters in the temple of the Lord. Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. Verse 13. Let me read it again. The Lord said to me, throw it in the potters, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. 
So I took the 30 coins and threw them into the potters in the temple of the Lord. God said, throw it in the potters. Remember a few minutes ago, I just said that Zechariah is acting out a prophecy. We seen well, the people realize now that God is speaking to them through Zechariah. That he's acting out a prophecy. Zechariah just acted out another one. He just acted out another one. And, you know, I miss this too. And so let's see this prophecy that he's acting out. Let's go to Matthew. This is a prophecy, remember? Zechariah, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 27, verse, verse three through five. This is very key. What has happened? This is after Jesus has been crucified. After Jesus has been crucified, read, let's read it. Verse three, when Judas who had betrayed him realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. Here we go. You ready? So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. What did Zechariah just say? 30 pieces of silver, right? Verse four, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Verse five, here we go. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hung himself. What you say? Did y'all see that? Zechariah just prophesied what Judas just did in Matthew. Zechariah said, that's gonna happen. What did God say? Throw them in the pot, throw, take the 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, and throw it in the potter. Throw it in the potters. 30 pieces of silver for the price of a slave. That's the price that they, that G, that they paid Judas to betray Jesus. They looked at Jesus as a slave. 30 pieces. This is what we're going to pay you to betray Jesus. And Judas took the money. And when he realized what he had done, he tried to take it back. He tried to give it back to him and they wouldn't accept it. What did he do? He threw it in the pots. Same thing Zechariah just said, same thing God told Zechariah, throw it in the potters. He just prophesied what Judas was going to do. And what happened? Verse five in Matthew 27, he went out and hung himself. Now, I want to show you something else in Matthew, because this is something that's proper. Don't get, don't get talked about. If you scroll down to verse nine, verse nine says this, this fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel. Now, he, we have a problem. We got a problem here. Okay, we got a problem. Remember, we call this podcast a journey to truth, right? We got a problem here. Here, Matthew said Jeremiah gave that prophecy. But we just read this prophecy in Zechariah, right? So why is Matthew giving credit to Jeremiah when in fact Zechariah is the one who did this prophecy, who gave this prophecy? Now, Jeremiah, it's in Jeremiah 18, I believe. Let me see if I can pull this up. Jeremiah 18, he did pay a visit to a potter's house 
but it don't say nothing about 30 pieces of silver. So here's the question. Why does Matthew say Jeremiah gave this prophecy when in fact Zechariah is the one that did? Answer, we really don't know. One answer that I saw was that the scribe who translated it might have mistranslated it and put Jeremiah's name when it should have been Zechariah's. But there's another one that I think everyone's really leaning towards. When it can't, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Because I pulled this up and I said, um, uh, it's, it's something about the groupings of it. Let me see, I'm trying to find it. Where it talked about how, here it is. It says the Hebrew Bible is divided into three sections called the law, writings, and prophets. Jesus referred to them in Luke 24, verse 44. The collection of the prophets begin with the book of Jeremiah. The scrolls were sometimes referred to by the name of the first book, which in this case, the prophets would be Jeremiah. So when Matthew says, says that Jeremiah says, he means that the prophecy was found in the Jeremiah scroll. So basically, Zechariah, Zechariah is considered a minor prophet. Jeremiah is considered a major prophet. That's your homework right there. Look up the major prophets and the minor prophets in the Old Testament. So because of Zechariah being a minor prophet, his prophecy, according to this, would fall under Jeremiah. So that's why Matthew said, Jeremiah said, when in fact, Jeremiah didn't say it, Zechariah said it. But because all of the prophets were apparently under Jeremiah, that's why he gave credit to Jeremiah instead of Zechariah, which I thought was so interesting. When I went back and looked at it, I'm like, wow, that really is kind of off. But when I read it and saw what, how it was grouped, I said, wow, that is amazing. So that's why Matthew gave credit to Jeremiah instead of Zechariah, because Zechariah's prophecies would have fell under, Zechariah's prophecy would have fell under Jeremiah's writings in his scroll, because they're all grouped. So that's why um, I think that's why Matthew gave credit to Jeremiah instead of Zechariah. Okay. But I want you guys to see that because that's something that, you know, my people might have just passed up. But I'm like, no, you need to see it because we're on a journey to truth, right? So I got to let you know the truth. So if we see something, we got to discuss it. So, but anyway, let's keep going. Now, we are at verse 14. Then I broke my other staff, union, to show that the, un that the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken. Now, if you want to know about the separation of Judah and Israel, read, I wrote it down. Where was it? First Kings chapter 12. Start from there. It'll talk about how Judah and Israel became split into two different, two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Read 1 Kings chapter 12 and start from there, and he'll talk about it, right? Now, Israel went through, now says the bond was broken. 
So they were about to be divided again. Now, in First Kings, remember we just talked about how they were separated, right? Now, both of them went through captivities of their own. Israel went through the Assyrian captivity. Judah, as we know, went through the Babylon, the 70 year Babylonian captivity, right? So after both of their captivities, somewhere down the line, they came back together again as one nation. So they became unified again. But we see here, God says, what we see here, Jeremiah, I mean, not Jeremiah. Woo, man, I'm getting tongue-tied thinking about that Matthew. We see here, Zechariah broke the staff of union to symbolize the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken again. This bond is broken. Why is it broken? Why? Because they rejected Jesus. That's why it's broken. So a lot of people see this goes into the replacement theology. What's replacement theology? People believe that the church has taken Israel's place. They think that God has completely turned his back on Israel and has now focused on the church. The church is chosen and that Israel no longer matters. That's not necessarily true, even though God has broken the covenant here. But we gonna we see later on because of Jesus dying, that covenant is still is. He said that I, they were just blinded. They're blinded right now. So. God has not turned back completely because in the end time, when the church is gone, then during the rapture, during that whole seven year, seven year period, God's attention is going to be focused at Israel all over again. We're going to see later on when we get to the seals, we're going to see that we're going to we're going to see the Gentiles. We're going to see the um, there's a specific I'm skipping ahead in next week's lesson. We're going to see where after a certain event takes place, after a certain thing takes place like with the Gentiles, you will see, we'll see a conclusion to the Gentiles. There we go. A conclusion to the Gentiles. Now, here we go. Here is the reason why we're talking about this now. Verse 15, then the Lord said to me, go again and play the part of a worthless shepherd. So, so if he's playing a worthless shepherd now, so first he was playing a good shepherd. He was playing the role of Christ. He was playing a good shepherd. Now he's about to play the role of what? A worthless shepherd. So we're seeing where he was playing the role of Christ in a way with just certain things that happened during Ju with with Jesus. We talked about the crucifixion. We talked about Judas. He talked about being rejected by his people. We've seen that, right? Now, he's about to play another role, a worthless shepherd. Now, we're getting back now. Remember, I told you, I'm going to tie this into, we've been discussing the Antichrist, right? We've been discussing it. Now, here we go. We're tying it in. Now, here comes the Antichrist. Verse 15, go again and play the part of a worthless shepherd. Verse 16, this will illustrate 
how I will give this nation a shepherd who will not care for the sheep that are threatened by death, nor look after the young, nor heal the injured, nor feed the healthy. Instead, this shepherd will eat the meat of the fattest sheep and tear off the hooves. Verse 17, doom is certain for this worthless shepherd who abandons the flock. You see that? God says the first, a good shepherd would do what? He said they will not, he said a good shepherd would look after the young. He would heal the injured. He would feed the healthy. But instead, this worthless shepherd will eat the meat of the fattest sheep and tear off the hooves. He said, this shepherd ain't gonna care about this flock. He's gonna treat them the same way the buyers and the buyers and sellers did that earlier flock in the beginning of verse 11, in the beginning of verse four, where it said the buyers didn't care and the sellers didn't care. He said, this shepherd's gonna treat the flock the same way. He's gonna treat them the same. He's not gonna care about them. He's going, he's going to do his best to break them. He's going to do his best to destroy them. He's going to kill them. He does not care about them. He does not care. This is the antichrist that he's talking about. Who's the flock? We're still dealing with who? Israel and Judah. God said that's the, that's the role of the antichrist. He's playing the worthless shepherd. Or King James, I believe, calls him... King James says in verse 17, woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. He calls him the idle shepherd. New Living Translation calls him the worthless shepherd. This is the antichrist that he's talking about. The antichrist's primary job is to break, is to break and break and kill and destroy. Go, he go in essence. Go after the nation of Israel. That's the whole reason for the whole seven-year thing with the anti. That's the whole thing behind this trip. See, that's why I said the church has not replaced Israel. They have not. Israel is still God's chosen people. He's still God's. They're still God's chosen people. The Bible says they're just blinded right now, but God has not forgotten them. He hasn't because God does, God's not a man that he shall lie. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's got to fulfill those promises. So no, he hasn't forgotten them. He's just turned his attention to them. But because they rejected Jesus, because they rejected the good shepherd, God says, I'm going to send you somebody else now. I'm going to send you somebody who's not, who's not going to be the one who's not going to be uh, the good shepherd, so to speak. He's not going to treat you as the way a shepherd does. It, it goes back to what Jesus said to St. John, where he said, you won't accept me, but there's somebody else that's going to come in his own name that you will accept. He said the Antichrist is going to, he's saying somebody else is going to come and him you're going to accept. You won't accept me, but somebody else is going to come and him you will accept. But he's the one that you're not supposed to accept, but you will. That's 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 amazing. Now, let's look at this. Now, here's here's the verse that I that we'll finally get into. Verse 17. 
in New Living Translation, doom is certain for this worthless shepherd who abandons his flock. The sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. His arm will become useless and his right eye completely blinded. It took me 30 minutes, but I had to, I had to really break down the whole, uh, that particular chapter of uh, Zechariah, chapter 11. But here we are. Did you hear that? The sword will be will pierce his right eye. The sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. His arm will become useless and his right eye completely blind. Let me read it in the King James. Woe to the, verse 17, woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be, utter, shall be utterly darkened. That particular part where it says his arm shall be clean, dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. There's a lot of scholars that believe that is a description of the Antichrist. So they'll they they'll look at it and they'll say his his arm shall be dried up. So that means he's going to have an arm that's useless and he's got a right eye and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So what they say is his right, his arm is useless. It really didn't say which arm. It just, it says his right eye and it doesn't say which arm. It just says his arm. So it's saying one of his arms will be useless and his right eye will be completely darkened. Meaning he'll have something wrong with his right eye that he won't be able to see out of. So, they say that that's a possible description of the Antichrist. I used to think that too, but here's the problem with that. The Bible says we do not know the identity of the Antichrist until the restrainer moves, until the abomination, desolation, excuse me, takes place. Excuse me. That's when we'll know his identity during the abomination of desolation. So if that, we know that to be true. So this cannot be a description of him. Why? Because his identity is secret. Remember what I said in the last episode with the mark of the beast, 666. We're not going to know what it means because his identity is secret. It's like Superman. Superman's secret identity is Clark Kent, right? So in the comics, no one. When Superman first came out, nobody knew Clark Kent was Superman. Remember in the original Superman, Christopher Reeve, if you pay attention to that movie, the mannerisms of Clark Kent and the mannerisms of Superman was so different, you really could not tell. People would was assuming, oh, it's just a pair of glasses. But the way Christopher Reeve portrayed him, it wasn't just a pair of glasses. You can look and tell by their actions, the way they talk. Like in the scene of that movie, after him and Lois Lane went on the flight, their first flight together, and while they were flying, uh, Superman lost his grip off of Lois, and he flew down to go catch her, and then he brought her back to the uh, Lois's a penthouse, right? So he then he came back as Clark Kent. So Clark Kent comes back, and. Lois is in the back getting dressed. And, you know, Chris, the way Christopher Reed portrayed both of them was so different. So as he was Clark Kent, he was hunched over, right? 
when he, I guess at that moment, he wanted to reveal his identity to Lois because he had fell in love with her, right? When he took his glasses off, he stopped being hunched over and he stood up with his chest out. Then now with his glasses off, now you're talking to Superman. You're not talking to Clark Kent. That's the way Christopher Reed portrayed it. Why am I talking about that? Because the Antichrist is the same way right now. His, by God, his identity is secret. You don't know who he is and you won't know who he is until the abomination of desolation. You won't know what 666 truly means until the abomination of desolation. It's kept secret. So because of that, we know this cannot be a description of the Antichrist. It's not a physical description of him. It's not. Why? Because that means that everybody's going to be looking for somebody who's got a right eye, who's got a right eye that you can't see it out of, and an arm that he can't use. How many people do we know like that? We know, we, 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 we see it all the time. So how many people do we know like that? So every so whenever we see somebody with a right eye injury and our arms right up, we're going to automatically say, that's the Antichrist, that's the Antichrist. But no, the Bible says you're not going to know because the abomination of desolation hasn't taken place. So you're not going to know. So this, that's what some scholars say. I used to, but as I started, used to look at it the same way. But as I started looking at it and started researching it, I said, oh, no, that's not right. That's not a description. No, that's not right. So what does it mean when he said the sword shall be upon his arm? Remember, in the end, we discussed what's Jesus' primary weapon? A sword, right? He said the sword shall and upon his right eye. Now, the, the New Living Translation says this, the sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. This, G, this talks about how Jesus will destroy, not destroy, but how he'll defeat the Antichrist. His arm will be cut off. Okay, so if it's not a physical arm that Jesus is going to cut off, what does it mean? In the Bible, an arm represents strength. So, Jesus, so in essence, when Jesus uses his sword to cut off his arm, he's cutting his strength off because during this whole period, nobody has more rule than Antichrist. He is head of everything. The new world order, that one world government that everyone talks about, that's it. He's going to rule it. He's going to be the head of all of it. So when Jesus comes, um, Jesus said his right, the Bible says the sword will cut off his right arm. Jesus is going to cut his strength. He's going to cut him down. And he says he's going to pierce his right eye. Now, does that really mean he's going to pierce his right eye? Remember, the sword is the is symbol for, is, is the weapon of Jesus, right? So it, it symbolizes the word of God, remember? So if arm is symbolized strength, what does an eye symbolize? An eye symbolizes intelligence. So in saying his intelligence is going to kind of be, cut. He's going to go from maybe the smartest person to the stupidest person when it's all said and done. When it's all said and done. This is taught. This is not a physical description of the Antichrist. This is a symbol of what's going to happen to him when Jesus comes. This is talking about his, his utter defeat. So do you guys see how Zechariah chapter 11 is? 
it breaks. It's a symbol of how God would deal with Israel. How he's going to deal with them because of how they rejected Jesus. He said, I'm going to break the unity, meaning he's going to spread them out. And he's going to break the covenant with them. He said, I'm going to I'm going to let whatever happened happen to him. I'm not going to try to defend them. I'm not going to try to do anything to help them. It's on their own. And, and then it goes on to say how the worthless shepherd that he sends, God's saying how that worthless shepherd that he sends to them in the end, he's going to be defeated. And it shows how he'll be defeated. I wanted to talk about that because I was so, and when I read the entire chapter, I kind of found it hard to kind of understand. But then I said, okay, I think I'm starting to understand it. So I, um, I wanted to discuss it. I wanted to really, especially talk about that with the possible description of the Antichrist. And I wanted to really bring that up. But in order to do it, we had to read everything else to understand it. So but that's it for this lesson of Zechariah chapter 11. I want to discuss it because I said I would, and I'm glad that I, I hope that I dis, that I did a good, a good job enough in discussing it uh, with you guys. So that's it for this lesson. And, you know, I honestly think that's this is going to be our last lesson on the Antichrist because we've covered him for almost a month now. So I think we're going to let this be our last lesson now. And later on in Revelation, when we get to 13, we'll see the Antichrist again, and we'll see his rise to power. But we're going to save that until we actually get to it, because we've been jumping, we've been jumping around a lot. And I don't want and I want to save it for when we get to it, because we got to go in depth discussing it. And then we're going to see, as I keep saying, we'll see his partner in crime, the false prophet. So we're going to wait to discuss his rise of power when we get to it in Revelation chapter 13. OK, so but this is going to be our last lesson on the Antichrist. I think we've kind of we'll see as we go through certain other things, we'll see him again. And of course, we're going to as we continue on through Revelation, we'll see him. Like I said, we'll see him again in Revelation 13. We'll see some other things as well, other things as well, things that he'll be a part of. But. I think as far as like just our discussion of, because remember, we're we're really dealing with the seven seals. This is really the first seal. We're dealing with the first seal. We still have six others to 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 um to deal with. So I think we're gonna make this one our last one. I think we'll we'll, we'll see, but I think that's the way we're going. Okay, but guys, that's it for this lesson. This is what I want you to do. We are at that moment where we want to offer Christ to you. You know, we see all this going on. We see, um, we see how God said He turned His back on this, on the, on this, on this flock, on His people, on these people. That should scare you right there. The fact that God says He turns His back on them. The Bible says, you know, one of God's judgments is He'll turn you over to a reprobate mind. You better look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal for some years until he came back to himself. And when he came back to himself, he realized who God was. God was the one who sent him through that. People think, like I said, 
People think they can live any kind of way and think God is pleased. But as, as I said, just because God is silent does not mean that he's pleased. Man, today I went to, um, I visited a church where uh, Harry, Harry Hickerson, H2O, man, Harry, I don't know if you, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear this, but man, I got to give a shout out to my big bro, man. He killed, he killed that thing at church this morning, man. This is, I posted this on Facebook, Harry. I posted this on Facebook. This is what he said. And I kept that thing with me, man, because I was so just like blown away of what he said. Let me see if I, this is what he said. When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like the decisions that you made in your life. That statement blew me away. That thing blew me away. And when you really think about it, we really, when we die, we don't look like our parents. We look like the decisions we made in our lives. Oh, man, I had to put that out there. Oh, man, that thing just, wow. So if we really do look like that, why do we make a good decision today? Make, make this decision. He, he, when I, when I went, he had me take a roll. Of, we took a roll of tape, took some tape from a roll and we laid out a line there. And it's like, we drawn a line in the sand. Remember how God did, how Moses did the children of Israel when he came back from the mountain he told them, make a line. Those of you who are on God's side, come over here. Those of you who not on God's side, stay on that side over there. He waited and waited and waited until they got, he didn't say nothing. He just stood there. He said, okay, we're going to wait. He waited. Once everybody was on whose side, he said, is this everyone? Y'all sure? Okay, make it sure, right? He tells the ones who's on God's side, um, y'all see them over here on this other side? Kill every last one of them. Kill them. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. Killed every last one that was against God. Why am I saying that? We living in a time where you need to make a choice. Whose side are you on? Are you on God's side or you're not on God's side? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not trying to go against somebody who can speak a word and a man die and who can speak another word and that same man that died get up and live again. I ain't messing with that. I ain't messing with nobody like that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Not doing it. Not doing it. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads when we just pray this simple prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, come into my heart. Make me, shape me, and mold me into the person who you call me to be. I submit my life to you. My life is now in your hands. I honor my body to you. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me. In the mighty name of Lord Jesus, I pray and thank you, Father. Amen. We're going to believe that if you pray just that simple little prayer, we believe that you are trans, you are now on God's side. So in the end, so if you were say, if, if this were back then with Moses and the children of Israel, 
you'd have been one of the ones Moses say, turn around, kill them ones that's against God. We believe that now you have transferred over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. And no matter what happens, whether the rapture comes or you go by grave, at the end of the day, from this moment forward, you will be like that thief on the cross. Jesus say, from this day forward, you'll spend eternity with me in paradise. And that's what the Lord says to you today. From this day forward, you will spend eternity with me. And now that you did that, do this thing too. Find a good Bible-based church to get in. Pray and ask God to send you to where you should be. Because as I keep saying, everything that says church today is not church, okay? So as I said, guys, this is going to be our last lesson concerning the Antichrist. Next week, we're, we've been covering the Antichrist, as I said, which is this is the first seal. So next week, we're going to go uh, move on from the Antichrist, and we're going to go on to the rest of the seals. I think that's where we're going to go next week. So next week, we're going to cover all the rest of the seven seals. That's what we're going to do. We're going to move forward from there. So I believe that's it, guys. I love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, and I want to say this to you guys, too. Those of you who, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can also catch us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. You can catch us on those, okay? So if you're somewhere, say you want to listen to it on your cell phone while you're at work or something, you don't have to catch us on YouTube. You can download Anchor or Apple Podcasts. If you got an iPhone, Apple Podcasts should be on your phone. If you've got Android, you might have Spotify on your phone. And check us out on the stream. And for those who are listening by way of Anchor, Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, if you want to see the video to check this handsome person out, handsome face out in person, if you want to see the video, go to YouTube and type in the Last Things Podcast, and you should see the our main blue logo, and that's the channel where you can see the live bit, you can see the YouTube video that we have. Okay, I I, I didn't think about it till last week. I had never done that before, ever put that out there. So if you guys want to do that, those who look on YouTube, if you want to check us out on the streaming services, you can. If those who listen by the streaming service want to check us out on YouTube, you can also check us out on YouTube as well. Okay, so guys, I love you. You guys have a blessed week. Be safe. Spend some time with God. Spend five or 10 minutes with the Lord in prayer. Spend it reading your words. Spend some time with God. That's all I'm saying this week. You can just do five, 10 minutes a day. Just start your morning off. Just 10 minutes. Just start your day with you. Okay. I love you guys. Have a blessed week. Be safe out there. And I'll see you next week with another episode of the Last Things Podcast, where we are on a journey to truth. Love you guys. Be blessed. <laughs>